open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this sermon series on the kingdom of God. We've titled this Upside Down Kingdom Living. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we so thank you for your word. It is life to us. It is challenge to us, Lord. It is what brings, uh, it brings uh, life into our bones. Lord, we thank you for uh, who you are in our lives and how you teach us and how you grow us. And Lord, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, it's so hard, so, so difficult, these, these verses, but Lord, so good because it's contrary, Lord, to everything that we, we know and understand in our society. And Lord, we're going to be challenged even this morning through the power of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to live it out. Through the power of your spirit that it would rise up inside us and, and cause us to, to live this, this truth that you're going to teach us today. And so Lord... Would you come and would you speak to us through the power of your, your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, and, and accomplish all that you want to in our hearts and our lives. And, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Upside down. Now, how many of you young people uh, like to watch Stranger Things? Okay, uh, it's a Netflix uh, series. Uh, I saw some older people like it too uh, out there. Um, some, uh, now, there's a new, new season that's just come out. It's called Stranger Things, and it's, it's I guess, season three. I, I don't really know. I don't really know a lot about the season. I started it with my kids, and, and I got through about half of a season, and I just, this, I was like, out, I'm out, you know, but but my kids have been into it, and, and they're, they're trying to tell me, uh, trying to explain to me what, what is this, you know, this stranger things, you know. And they say there's two dimensions, right? There's, there's these two dimensions. One is a real, the real world we live in, and then the other is the upside down. Now, I don't know what that is, but what I've looked it up online, and it told me it was, was the upside down is an alternate, uh, uh, it's an alternate dimension, Existing in parallel to the human world. Now, as I was thinking about this, this is similar to what God is trying to teach us. There's there's this fallen world that we live in, this broken by sin, right? And, and And then there's this kingdom living. There's this kingdom, God's kingdom, that exists in parallel to this fallen world that we live in, a kingdom that is upside down compared to the fallen world. If you were with us last week, you, were, you know that we're in the middle of this, this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out for us what kingdom living looks like here on earth. Did you know that Jesus always was talking about the kingdom of God? He was always saying, well, the kingdom of God is like this, and the the kingdom of God is like that. The gospels are filled with Christ speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, looking at last week's study, Jesus' idea of kingdom living is upside down. Remember, upside down compared to what? Today's societal living, isn't it? 
as we looked at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, remember Jesus was giving us the keys to, the ki- to kingdom living. First, our relationship with, with God. Remember, we were talking about relationship with God. We were, we were saying we need to be poor in spirit as we come to the Lord. We need to, we need to be uh, broken, humble, dependent upon the Lord, meek, yielded to the Holy Spirit, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for the things of, of God. Then secondly, it, it, it goes into our relationship with others. Walking in, in mercy, pure in heart, not being distracted by the things of this world, being a peacemaker, pursuing peace with all men, and able to endure persecution for Christ's name. Then third is the how-to, how to put these beatitudes into practice by being salt, remember? Salt gives flavor, salt promotes thirst into the world. We're supposed to be salt in, in the world that we live in. Salt, and then we are to be light to this world, this dark world that, that is all around us. Yet, we concluded that we can't do any of this on our own strength, remember? We can only do this through the power of the Spirit of God. Well, well, this is, is going to be true as we look at the things today as well. We're going to need the power of God, the, the Spirit of God, to, to, to strengthen us and empower us to do the things that we're going to read. It's not going to be an easy sermon, I, I'm going to let you know today, right now. It's going to be heavy, yet it's going to be good. It's going to be a, maybe a spiritual spanking, yet then an encouragement to go out, and, go out and do it. Well, Jesus is going to take us deeper in our thoughts as he, com- as he confronts us with more upside-down kingdom principles. He's going to push us a little harder in, in trying to understand what the kingdom looks like and what kingdom living is. Now, I want, I want you to remember the setting. Jesus is up on a mountainside right now. He's seated, and his disciples are down below him, and he's teaching his disciples' hearts. And he's, he's beginning to give them these incredible truths about the kingdom of God. So with those things in mind, let's begin in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle will, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches them so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, many people in Jesus' day believed Jesus was relaxed. He had a relaxed interpretation of God's law. The the way Jesus behaved and and acted with, with, with sinners opened him up for, for criticism that he was a licentious or a loose, uh, he had this licentious or loose interpretation uh, of God's, God's law. 
You see, licentious means not caring to adhere to a set of rules. Kind of not, not adhering to a, a, a direct rules and regulations. Now, the gospel stories tells us that Jesus was hang, hung out with sinners. He, he hung out with tax collectors, and he was eating with them, and he got a reputation that he was a partier or, or a drunkard. He was accused of healing people on the Sabbath, and, and, and the religious leaders of that day, the religious elite said, how could you heal people on the Sabbath when we're to keep the Sabbath holy? Jesus, you're licentious. So Jesus responds to the criticism that, he, he's, uh, that he's relaxed in his interpretation of God's law by saying, do, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or not to, to follow the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to, but to fulfill. It's almost like Jesus was saying in this section that, you know, the law will not pass away until hell freezes over. Like, it's not going to pass away, guys. The law will remain. It will remain, in, in, and it will stay intact. In, in, in now, Jesus is speaking to the religious. He's saying, I haven't come to destroy or ignore the law. On the contrary, I've come to fulfill it. You see, Jesus is completely rejecting a licentious approach to, to king, the kingdom of God. But look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is really bad news for you and me. This he mentions the Pharisees and the scribes precisely because they were the standard of what righteousness was within Judaism. He is taking the greatest example of religious professionalism, of holiness and purity on the outside, and he says, if you can't beat this, then you have no shot inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Now, the disciples at this point were probably thinking, well, there's no hope for us, right? I mean, think about the, the disciples, kind of a ragtag kind of group of, 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 of men. They're just average men. They're not religious professionals. They're, they're not, they haven't spent learning the law all their life. They're, they're just following this rabbi that said, come follow me, and, and, and now is, they're following him. Not one of Jesus' disciples was a religious professional. You see, G Jesus' first disciples were just like you and I. They were epic failures at, at playing the religious game. So what is Jesus trying to tell us in these verses? He's confronting the religious, those that were legalistic towards God's law. And he's also confronting those that are licentious or loose toward God's law as well. He's confronting us this morning 
And he will confront us in the verses ahead. He's confronting those of us that might think that, oh, I can, I can just cheat on, on my, financial, my financial documents just a little bit. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter if I fantasize about someone, someone else sexually that, other than my spouse. It, it's, it's not committing adultery. So it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not bad. He's confronting those of us that might think that we take pride in, in the religious activities, in the religious service that we do, and, and we walk around and think, I'm, I'm, I'm godly because of the things that I do. He's going to confront those that, that have conformed their lives to a pattern of Christian subculture rather than kingdom living. You see, religiosity and licentiousness will not help us inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, in these verses, these next verses, we're going to see six examples. Jesus gives us six examples of kingdom living, which we're going to work, work through fairly quickly. I won't be able to get into them a whole lot because we have a whole lot of verses we're trying to get to the end of the chapter this morning. Yet there is one point that I want us to get out of all these six examples, and that is this. Jesus is intimately aware of human condition. Jesus is aware of, uh, acutely aware of human condition. He knows your heart. He knows your brokenness. He is aware of your sickness called sin. He is aware of, of the heart level issues that are going on in your life. He knows your motives. He knows your desires. He knows your lusts that lie beneath the surface that no one else sees. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Why, why do they say that? Because most icebergs are massive in size. And if you ever see pictures of them, it's just like there's just a, par a partial piece that sticks out from the top, but what's underneath is huge. It's what took the Titanic down. Yet all we can see from the top is just a small bit of, of, of that iceberg. This imagery gives us this idea that there is so much more beneath the surface. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see in these next six examples. He's saying, oh, oh you think you're pretty good. Oh, you think you came into church this morning and you think, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I'm following God's, God's law pretty well. Yet let's take a look at your heart this morning. Let's, let's go beneath the surface a little bit and let's look what's underneath there. That's what Jesus is getting at this morning. Let's continue on in verse 21. And you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be uh, will, be, will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But, 
But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now you're going to see a, a pattern in each of these examples. And Jesus says, you've heard it said. Now when he says, you've heard it said, what is he referring to? He's referring to the law of Moses. The law that was set in, in the Old Testament. And this is what the, the Jews would live by and in, 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 in proud themselves in at times, especially the religious leaders. But then Jesus would say, but I say to you. So there's this, you have heard it said, but then I say to you. And Jesus is showing us that he is the authoritative interpreter of God's law. He's the one that can interpret the, the law of God and what it is and what it says. And he is also the authoritative giver of God's law. He's the one that created it. He's the one that gives it. And so he's going to speak into this as we look at this, these examples this morning. In this first illustration, Jesus is confronting the inner person, the inner self. He's saying, okay, so you haven't murdered anyone. That, well, good for you. Good job. I'm glad you feel good about yourself this morning. Since when was murder uh, the standard of morality and, and virtue? It isn't. But Jesus says, I say to you, why do you have anger in your heart toward your brother? You see, you're just as guilty if you murdered someone or if you have anger in your heart, oh, Jesus, how could that be? How could you put those on the same, same plane? And Jesus says, in kingdom living, this is the plane. If you have malice in your heart towards someone else, you're guilty. Maybe that's you this morning. You've come into the house of God and you have anger in your heart. You walked in here with anger. Maybe it's toward your husband or your wife because it was so hard to get the kids in the car and get over here and be on time. And it's frustrating. And now there's anger. But Jesus says we need to let that go. We need to deal with the anger in our hearts. We need to, and, and don't think that you're righteous because you didn't kill someone. You're not righteous. In fact, you've fallen short of what God wants. Let's look on in verse 23. And therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree uh, with the adversary quickly while you are on your way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will, be, you will, be, you will by no means get out uh, of there till you have paid the last penny." As you know, going to the temple was one of the holiest things that, that a, a Jew could do. 
to, to enter into the temple in Jerusalem and to go into the altar and, and to, to, to participate in those sort of things was, was a, a, a privilege. It was, it was something that, it was a pilgrimage that people would, would, would go and do. They would plan their vacation, plan their vacation time or whatever it is to go and make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and, and go to the temple. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, as you, as you prepare your, your way to go to, to Jerusalem and, and, and go to the temple and, and, and to, to make your sacrifice at the altar, and you remember that you have something against your brother, then I want you to leave your gift at the table and I want you to leave and, and, and however long it took you to travel and all the stuff that you decided to do, uh, I want you to leave that there and I want you to go reconcile with your brother and then travel all the way back and then make your, your sacrifice at the altar. Now, I, I'm sitting here going, God, can I just make my offering and then go, go, make, go and reconcile with my brother? I mean, I've traveled all this way. It would be like us traveling to Denver and then having, oh, I gotta go all the way back and then all the way back to Colorado Springs and then all the way back to, to Denver to, to go put my gift. It, can I just like, give my gift and then like reconcile? And, and, and Jesus is saying No. He, Jesus wants his followers to know a part of worshiping is, li, is living a reconciled life with others. That's how important it is. Not just with God, but with others. Why does Jesus say, leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile? Because he is so intimately aware of the darkness of our hearts. He knows that if we just come into the house of God and, and we do our thing, and yet we don't reconcile and we don't fix the things that are broken, then we're gonna leave and we won't fix them anyway. He says, go reconcile with your brother. Some of you in here need to reconcile with a family member, with a friend. There's broken relationships all through this room. Yet we come into the house of God and we worship God and we put our hands up and we say, God, we love you. But Jesus is saying, kingdom living looks like this. Go reconcile with your brother and then come to the house of God. Jesus is all about reconciliation. Hear this this morning. Even if it means interrupting the most sacred religious duties that we do coming to church every Sunday. Reconcile with your brother. Forgive. Don't hold on to the bitterness anymore. Jesus is saying that's kingdom living. That's kingdom living. Verse 27 you have heard it, it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and, and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that, no, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now Jesus is getting pretty serious here. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now what is Jesus doing here? What is he asking us to do? He's he's demanding uh, action. Decisive action. He's demanding decisive action in our life. He's not encouraging self-mutilation, okay? I want you to know that, okay? That we do have a problem in our society of cutting. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, well, think about cutting your hand off. Because, guys, none of us would have hands. None of us would have eyes. We would continue to sin because we, we, that's, that's the nature that's in us. Yet, Jesus is saying, I want you to live by a different nature, I want you to live, I want you to have a different perspective. He's using hyperbole here. He's being very uh, uh, radical in his thoughts. His objective is not for you to pluck your eye out or cut your hand off. But it may, he, he may be asking you to throw away your computer. To get serious about the sin in your life. He might, it might mean throwing, getting rid of your, 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 your smartphone because it's not making you that smart. It's causing you to sin. And if it's causing you to sin, get rid of it, cut it off, get, get it out of your life, destroy it. It may mean that you need to come clean this morning. Some of you need to come and, and confess sin because when, you're, when you confess sin to, to one another, you're accountable for your sin. Your sin is then out in the open and now someone can say, how are you doing? Instead of letting it be just kind of lie beneath the surface. Jesus is telling his disciples, take drastic measures to deal with sin in your life. Take drastic measures because sexual perversion begins with the eye. It's that look. It's the linger. Guys, it's not only you, it's girls too. Ladies, you're, you're just as guilty. Then that sexual perversion marinates in the heart, doesn't it? We take that look and then we marinate it in, in our hearts and, and we begin to, to think about it. And Jesus says, take drastic measures to deal with the sin in your life. Cut it off. That's kingdom living, guys. Not to allow it to remain or hang out with you or, or continue to be in your life. No, cut it off. How are you, how are you feeling so, so far this morning, guys? Are we doing Are we doing good? Feel encouraged? All right. We're going to keep going. I feel encouraged too. No, it's heavy, isn't it? It's not easy. 
Continue on in verse 31. Therefore, uh, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. As you know, the biblical picture of marriage is a lifetime union between one man and one woman. Divorce was never a part of God's original plan. It was a picture of this, of this man and this woman coming together in one flesh, the two becoming one for a lifetime. Yet in Deuteronomy, because of Israel's hardness of heart, Moses had offered a certificate of divorce, a permission slip, so to speak, because their hearts were hardened. Now that didn't please the Lord, but it was the reality of their hearts. The word heart, the hardened heart, the word in, in, the, in the Hebrew there is scoliosis. This, their hearts were bent and, 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 and twisted toward, toward, the, toward each other and darkened to where they couldn't reconcile in, in, in the relationship. So Moses offers this, this permission. He says, it was never God's intent for divorce to happen, but, but when it needs to happen, here is a certificate of permission. Teachers in Jesus' day had, had taken, this, uh, taken this teaching of Moses and started to promote this per- permissive culture of divorce. They were allowed for, they were allowing the Jews of that day to, to divorce for pretty much any reason, similar to today. We actually have a historical record of Jewish teachers teaching that you could divorce your wife for burning the toast. You could divorce your wife if she simply did not look as youthful as she did when you first married her. What do you think the result of that in in your house would be? Not a happy marriage. Not a healthy marriage. And also a gross injustice done toward women during that day. This oppression, this suffering, it was so difficult for women then to earn a living because they were then an outcast in society after they've been divorced. Verse 32, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality, (laughs) the term there is perneia, where we get pornography or uh, porn uh, that is, the, is the word that is kind of used, causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a woman who, who is divorced commits adultery. <clears throat> Jesus says divorce is possible in extreme cases of sexual immorality. <clears throat> Certainly adultery and perhaps gross sexual perversion. Church, our culture today says, if you're not happy in marriage, get out. That's what our culture says. That's what the church is doing, even. There's a couple that I know 
that have been married very, a very short time, not even a year, and they're on the, on the road, they're, they're already filed for divorce. Christians, or so-called Christians, that does not make sense to me. I'm not happy. I made a mistake. I, I, this should not be. This is, I, I shouldn't be unhappy. And so I'm getting out. And what's sad is we're showing the world that Christianity isn't, isn't really real at all. Because if we can't reconcile between one another, then, then what is Christianity? What is this that we're living, that, that Jesus says, reconcile with your brother and, and forgive one another and, and work together, yet you can't even reconcile with your best friend, so to speak? Man, there's something wrong. Now, Jesus says, I understand if there's adultery and there's, there's, there's this there's an a, a, a incredible uh, hurt that comes to your life and, and, and it's broken, but to get out because you're not happy because, because you wanted something different, I'm sorry, that's not what Jesus is saying. He says kingdom living is, is you stay in it. You fight for it so that your relationship will be a reflection of Christ in the church to the world. Fight for your marriage. Don't run. Don't give up. Stay in it. Let God work. Let God do the work that he needs to do in your life. Verse 33. Again, you have heard it that it is said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your, your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for, by it, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you s- swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than, than these is from the evil one. People were swearing oaths uh, in Jesus' day all the time in order to show how, how sincere they were. The levels of sincerity or the level of commitment that they had towards somebody that they said, I, I, I promise it was like saying, I, I swear on my mother's grave that I'm going to do this or that. I, I, I really, really promise that I'll follow through with this. And Jesus is saying, this isn't kingdom living. Some people have taken this text and they have said that, that as Christians we shouldn't be entering into any contracts. Now that's not what Jesus is trying to say here. But what, Jesus, what, is, what is Jesus teaching us? He's saying, to be a follower of Jesus, you need to operate with integrity and honesty at all times. That's what he's saying. You know what's sad is, is as Christians, we, we, uh, we, 
we see a, a Christian business out there with the fish symbol, and, and sometimes we just run away because we don't want to, to, to do business with them. Because we don't know what we're going to get. They actually might try to take advantage of us because they're a Christian. But that shouldn't be, church. We should do life with integrity and honesty, and that we should walk with, with that kind of purpose and, and, and that kind of character inside the world. Jesus is saying kingdom living is this kind of living. And the only way the world will see something different, is, different in us, the only way they will see us to be salt and to be light is to live this way, to live with integrity in honesty, letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is a kingdom of honesty and integrity. Now, how is our hearts doing, church? Let's continue on in verse 38. And you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to ex- resist an evil person But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give him him who asks you and and from him who wants to borrow from you and do not turn away. Now, verse 38, in verse 38, the concept Jesus is addressing here is the law of uh, uh, retribution. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was what what, what was taken in the Old Testament. If you did this to me, then this is what will be done to you. That was some of the judgment and some of the, 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 the way they... They dealt with things in the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying, my kingdom looks different than that. I tell you, do not resist the evil one, who, the, the one who is evil. Now in the Greek, the Greek term here is a concept of nonviolent resistance. Nonviolent resistance. Now is this making anybody uncomfortable in here? Because that's not common for us. You see, Jesus is flipping this upside down on us. He's saying, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to, to respond in violence towards someone who is, who is against you. You see, the history of Christianity is the history of Christians avoiding the teaching of, teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Responding to evil by not responding back with violence. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, give him the other. Now, I'm not saying this Jesus is. You can take it up with him. His email is, I don't know. What is Jesus teaching? Is he saying that we should just allow people to abuse us in the name of Jesus Christ? 
No. But if you're, if you're being attacked for, for, for God's name, you're, you're, being, you're being ridiculed for righteousness sake because you're standing for righteousness and they slap you on the face and you're shamed by that, he says, give him your other cheek as well and let, let you be shamed as well in that because Jesus was shamed. Now, I, I'm not saying this. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what happened to Jesus. Think about it. Jesus went to the cross. He was shamed. He, was, he, he didn't say a word. He, he kept his mouth shut. He, he didn't deny or, 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 or... He just said, okay. And through that, we look at the, the passion of the Christ and we think, wow, this is... Intense, how could, and we're awed by it, and we're, we're honored, like we're just like, God, you're, Jesus, this is so powerful. Yet when it comes to us living that out, we're just like, no, that, that's, that's ludicrous. Church, that's upside down in, in our thinking today. You know, our, our thinking is even things up, right? Even things up. Jesus says, let it go. Just let it go. When someone cuts you off out, out here on Academy Boulevard and flips you off and gets upset with you, you just let it go. You respond with kindness. Love instead of hate. If anybody takes your tunic, give him your cloak as well. How much clothes does this person have left? Well, if you know the terms there, it's giving all your clothes away. If they take your clothes, then give them your underpants as well. What are you left with? Nothing. You're naked. You're vulnerable. Jesus is trying to get us to understand something. Jesus went to the cross vulnerable too, didn't he? Jesus is our example. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now this was a practice in the, Ro- in the Ro- Roman Empire where, where the Romans could come in and say, I need you, a citizen, uh, to, to carry my pack or to move my stuff from here to there. And you had to do it. Now, that would inconvenience you. That would, that would inconvenience your day. But you would have to do it instead of grumbling. Ugh got to take this stuff over here and put it over here. I don't even like the Romans. They're frustrating me. They're always on my case. Leave us alone. Right? And Jesus is saying, if they ask you to do that, say, is there anything else I can do for you? How can I assist you more? Is there, is there any other work that I could do? Let me go another mile with you. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Yeah, it is crazy talk. It's upside down. But that's Jesus' kingdom living. 
Look at verse 43. You have heard it. It was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may, not, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the Son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The Pharisees taught at this time that one should love those that are near to them, endeared to them, and hate those that are against the house of Israel. That's why Samaritans were, were outcasts. That's why they were, they were not loved by the children of Israel. But Jesus turns this up on, uh, upside down on its head and says, love your neighbors. But not just love your neighbors, love your enemy. In, ki- in the kingdom of God, we love everyone, even if they persecute you. You love them back. You do good for, to those that hate you. Now, who wants to sign up for that today? We'll have a sign-up sheet out, out front in the lobby. Yet, yeah, that's what, we, that's what sh- should be our, our, our desire Okay, Lord, I'm, I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this. Church, that's upside down thinking. That's kingdom thinking. Look at verse 46 as we look to the end of the chapter and end out today. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do, you even, do even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than, than others? Do you even, don't, do not even the, the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father is, just as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is saying, you put these things into practice and you will be perfect. Now, the word perfect here is complete, mature, whole. That's what Jesus wants for, for us. He's saying, if you put these things into practice, then, then this is what you will be. He's also saying, you know, it's easy to love those that love you, isn't it? Isn't it easy to love those that love you? That's easy. That's what the world does. But we're called to be different. Jesus' followers, Christians, stand out. We are to be salt. We are to be light as we head out these doors today. So what is Jesus doing here? What what is he doing with the Sermon on the Mount? What is he trying to teach us? As we close, he begins to, he's beginning to establish the new covenant. He's calling us to a new way of living that we can follow in his footsteps as Jesus lived this out for us. Now, church, we cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is hard stuff, guys. I, I'm sitting in it going, I, I don't, I don't, Lord, I don't know. Like, I'm, 
I'm undone. I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to put this, to, to live that. But I'm going to try, Lord. And, and through the power of your spirit, I know that you can empower me to do it. And so, Lord, I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to live through me this way. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close? And would you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31? You can listen to it or you can turn there with me. It doesn't matter. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 33. Here's, here's Jeremiah prophesying about uh, the new covenant coming. And I believe that it has something to, to speak to us as we close. It says in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the, the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. My prayer is that as we leave today, that God's law, kingdom living that we've looked at this morning would be written on our hearts and put into our minds that we would live differently than the world that lives out there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this, this hard message. Lord, we know that we can only live this out through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we could live this out, that we could love this way, Lord. Lord, help us to, to take drastic measures towards to deal with sin in our lives so that you can be glorified. Lord, would you help us see the world the way you see it? Lord, help us respond the way you want us to respond. And Lord, strengthen us with, with your power in order to live it out. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.